my uh, voice. I need help for my eyes. Thank you. Um, one thing that I regret, I wish I could give you tonight, and I'm not going to be able to give you tonight. Um, uh, we, um, I, would, I was hoping that we could give you the list of the names of men who have been nominated for the office of elder. I, uh, as you know, the last day was uh, Sunday, but I'm, I'm not able to give you that list of names. Um, I, I can tell you this. There were, um, there were ten men nominated. There are two men who are still praying about uh, whether or not to accept their nominations, whether they feel like um, because of job considerations and family considerations. And, so I can't give you the names yet. Uh, we'll try to do that Sunday, as, and we hope that that uh, they can let us know something so that we can let you know something. But uh, unfortunately, I can't give you that information yet. Uh, maybe some of you were eager to get it, and I wish I could give it to you, but I can't. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 and uh, hopefully conclude our discussion of verse um, 2 of chapter 5 tonight, um, if you recall, what I have suggested that Paul is doing here is giving us some of the outcomes and results and in, in blessings of having been justified by faith. Having been justified by faith, he mentions three things that are the results of that justification. One of those is that we have peace with God. The other is uh, we have access by faith into this grace. And then the third, uh, which, we, which is before us tonight, um, is that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And you may recall that as we closed off last Wednesday night, I, I, um, I tried to just briefly introduce that subject to you, uh, trying to give you some idea about the word hope, uh, that there is a fixedness, that there is a certainty, there is a stability to the word that uh, is not much associated with our English word. Uh, hope. Uh, it's not just wishful thinking. There is a certainty behind it. But this idea of uh, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God is, is something that may sound strange to your ears, and unfortunately it shouldn't. Um, the idea that, um, that believers have, can rejoice in this fixedness of conviction that they will indeed enjoy and behold the glory of God. It should not be something that's new or foreign or strange to you. And, and what I want to do, <coughs> just um, <clears throat> for the first few minutes, is show you how often this theme or this idea appears in the Scriptures, just to give you an idea of why, and, and as I said last week, why it's always been the hope of God's people that uh, ultimately and finally we would be spending our eternities in the presence of God. Um, it, it arises, by the way, did you realize this, that the, that the Bible is not arranged in chronological order? Did you know that? Um, that the first book ever written, or the book that is um, considered the oldest book in the Bible, is not the book of Genesis. Were you aware of that? Uh, it might help you in just one small uh, way. What, what is it that is the book that is known as the... Considered by scholars to be the book that, that was first written in terms of its antiquity. What book would that be? The book of Job. Job is the book that has the earliest date associated with it. The reason I say that to you is that this idea of um, 
of spending eternity in the glory of God is even found in the first author ever recorded. It's a theme that Job picks up in chapter 19 when he says uh, in verse... Oh, these, are, these are great verses, ladies and gentlemen, that we sing and that you know in verses 25 and 26 of Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, <coughs> and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. A reference to this resurrected body, this eternity spent in the presence of the eternal God. Uh, as early as the earliest author of the Bible. But uh, another place that it is seen, which is something that I hope you're, you're somewhat used to around here, is the, probably one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament because of its, at least it should be famous around here. I use it all the time. It's, the, um, it's a unique passage in the Old Testament. The ironic blessing that is found in, in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. Well, this, this idea, the second line, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. In the, in the, in the mind of the Jew, nothing could be more coveted and valued and desired than, and then having, than being face to face with God. This idea of being in the glory of His presence. That was blessing indeed. Um, so you see it. You see it in Job. You see it in this ironic blessing. You see it um, carried, of course, over into the New Testament. Jesus in His first recorded public statement um, or public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see it in um, uh, Pauline writings, as, as in, uh, not an, um, as, in an unknown place like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that where Paul states, for now we see as in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. <clears throat> you see it... Um, as I said in that conversation between Philip and Thomas and Jesus in John 14, we looked at that last week. But there's another place that is just oh so compelling, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to take a look at it with me. If, you'll, if you can find John 17 real quickly. Um, this idea that Paul is mentioning in Romans 5.2 is often mentioned. And this is perhaps the place. Well, maybe I should mention one other before I get to this. You find John 17. Let me read you 1 John 3. And we're going to return to this as we close. But 1 John 3 says in verse 2, um, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There again, this this great longing on the heart of the believer that there will be a face-to-face encounter, an eye-to-eye, presence-to-presence, <coughs> seeing Him no longer behind a veil. We shall see Him as He is. But to me, the most compelling argument, or not argument, but mention of this whole idea comes in one of the prayers of Jesus. You know, I always like to pause and say, can you imagine Jesus praying and the Heavenly Father saying No. Can you, can you imagine the Son of God standing before God and saying, 
father, this is a long, um, passionate desire of mine, something that I've wanted for eons upon eons, and uh, I would like for you to, um, to uh, grant it. And the father say, sorry. And it's a nice... Rec- now, he might say that to us, but uh, would he say that to his son? So my point is, when you see the Son of Man pray for something, you can bet that that very something is going to transpire. It is going to take place. Well, let me, let me show you one of the things that, that our Savior prays for <coughs> in this famous passage known as the High Priestly Prayer. It's in John 17, um, verse 24. We'll just concentrate on it. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. The Son of Man steps before his Father and says, one of my grandest and fondest desires is that the people that you have given me will be with me. Now, will the Father say no to that? And that's, a, that's a, almost an uh, unaskable question or one that should... Of course the Father is going to grant the Son's wish. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Paul is, is rejoicing over. This confidence that he will spend his eternity with, in the presence of, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, with glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. That is this third blessing, ladies and gentlemen. This third result of being justified by faith. Paul was looking forward to beholding this full glory of the Lord Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, not only Paul should be looking forward to that, but you, because of the doctrine of justification by faith, can look forward to that too. That you uh, can hope in and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and spending um, your eternity in that presence. Now guys, there's, there's one thing that I, I wanted to draw your attention to before we l- left this subject. And then I want to make a couple of applications and then I want to quit. But I want you to notice something in what Paul has done here because it's, it's kind of unique. Not unique. It's kind of, um, it's kind of pregnant with meaning. <laughs> I want you to notice that Paul has made a quantitative leap. Paul begins with justification by faith and leaps to... Glorification. Now, and you, you wonder, what significance does that have? Um, let me try to explain. Guys, if you've taken my um, systematics class, one of the last things that we do is we take a look as what is no, at what is known as the ordo salutis. Remember that? And the ordo salutis, is, it's a Latin phrase which simply means the order of salvation. And that there is, um, as you as you 
take a look at the distillate of the New Testament, there is a sequence. There is a logical and biblical sequence that occurs in the life of every believer. For instance, does um, glorification come after or before regeneration? After. I mean, there is a sequence to things. <clears throat> does adoption come before or after justification? After. Guys, <clears throat> in this Ordo Salutis, there are eight items uh, calling um, regeneration. Um, i got to get this right now. Uh, conversion. Or... Uh, faith and repentance. Um, justification. Um, adoption. Sanctification. Um, perseverance. And glorification. That's the Ordo Salutis. There's a sequence in the unfolding of redemption in the life of every believer. Um, now, guys, <clears throat> before somebody walks out of here and says, well, I don't know where that is in the Bible. Well, very honestly, you're not going to find that in the Bible. You're going to find portions of it. You're going to find significant portions of it in Romans 8. Um, and him, him he called, then he predestined, then he predestined, then he justified, then he justified, then he also glorified. There's a sequence there, you see. But you don't find this whole thing put together. This is what systematic theology is all about. This is what systematic theology does for you. It takes the New Testament and the Old. It takes biblical theology and tries to reduce it into ways, into systems that make it better or more easily understood and graspable by the people of God. So if you look for, if you go to trying to find a proof text for this thing, uh, you're not going to find a proof text. You'll find major portions of it. But the rest of it is pieced together as we try to understand the entirety, a panorama of what the New Testament and Old Testament teach, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is very significant, ladies and gentlemen, uh, um, because what Paul does is jump from here to here. It's as if he never regards adoption, Saint, by the way, who is it that taught us adoption? It was the Apostle Paul. In fact, in fact, there's very little, not very little, but not a whole lot about adoption in the New Testament. And what you get about adoption from the New Testament in the New Testament, you get it from Paul. He's the one that teaches us this great doctrine of adoption. <clears throat> Sanctification, of course, that's all over the New Testament. And perseverance, the perseverance of the saints. Those things are the... That this is the nice sequence that helps you grasp what God has done in your life. But guys, do you see what Paul does in Romans 5, 1 and 2? He says, having been justified by faith, what you would think he would maybe ought to want to say is, having been justified by faith, um, you will then enter the great process of sanctification, which uh, results, of course, in the persevering of the, of the saint uh, into eternity and then be capped off 
with glorification. Glorification being the entrance into that glory of eternity. But he doesn't do that. He says, having been justified by faith, we rejoice in the glory of God. Do you see what that means? Guys, I'm convinced that so many who are a part of the body of Christ... By the way, in one sense, Paul ignores sanctification. Completely ignores it. Now, that's not something that you and I... How do I say this? That's not something that we want to make an error over. That is, we know that sanctification will result from justification. But the point is, when a man is justified by faith, he can already begin to understand where he will spend eternity. Forget this. You know I don't mean that um, um, <clears throat> fully. But the idea that justification has done such a work in the life of the believer that the one thing that is certain and sure is if he is justified... He will be glorified. Gang, get this and drink it down. Justification by faith, rightly and fully understood, requires the doctrine of eternal security. Do you know what eternal security is? Surely you know that one. That is that I, once I, I hate this language. You know I hate this language. The once saved, always saved language because I think it's been so horribly abused in the evangelical community. Not that it, I don't believe it. But it's language that's been abused and it communicates, I think, some, some unfortunate things like, well, you know, uh, you know, I saved when I was nine, and so I can live like the devil when I'm 29, and it doesn't make a difference, because you know, one saved, always saved. Now, that's the way I think it's been abused. But do we, do I believe, do we believe, does this Bible teach eternal security? You bet your britches it does. And justification by faith, rightly and fully understood, means that you and I can jump to glory immediately. It demands, it demands eternal security. Guys, drink that down. Enjoy it. Because justification by faith has made provision for you and provision that will usher you into glory. Now, but you say, Jimmy, you know I really blew it back in my marriage. I'm sorry you did. That's a shame that you did. I wish you hadn't have. There are consequences to having blown it. But it does not alter the course of your eternity. Well, Jimmy, you're just giving people license to sin. Um, so be it. You know, you know that the New Testament doesn't encourage sin, ladies and gentlemen, and neither, neither would I. But if we understand justification by faith, we can then immediately leap to glory.
Now guys, what I also need to tell you is there are denominations out there who deny the doctrine of eternal security. Did you know that? All right. Think in reverse with me. If you deny eternal security, then basically, what is your theological flaw? A right and full and complete understanding of justification by faith. Those who deny eternal security and would suggest to you that you could be saved you can be a child of the God of God today and a child of the devil tomorrow those who would teach you such a thing would be saying by way of implication I think that we'll never know if we've ever done enough or believed enough or repented enough and that ladies and gentlemen is a denial of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I'm saying to you guys, this doctrine of justification by faith alone is far better than we ever dreamed. It is far greater because once you have been justified by faith, you are hidden with Christ in God. And you can leap to glory. That's, that's why I draw attention, ladies and gentlemen, to the, did you notice the leap? Because justification by faith allows that. It allows the leap. Have you exercised faith in Jesus Christ? I say to you. Jesus prayed for you back in John 17. That those that he, that he had given him will be with him. And that will be you. Oh, but Jimmy, you don't know my past. No, I don't need to. You don't know how I've sinned over my 1040. No, I don't need to. Guys, I'm not trying to encourage any of those things. They're bad, they're <laughs> sinful, and there will be consequences of our choosing to sin. But it does not change <laughs> that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, um, let me hasten to make two applications and I'll finish. Um, <clears throat> Paul says that as, an under, as a byproduct, as a result of justification by faith, he rejoices in the hope of the glory of God. And I, and I, I should point out, ladies and gentlemen, that that word rejoice is also found in verse uh, 11, where Paul mentions rejoicing again. Um, I can hardly find a lot. There, there it is. Um, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God. My point, the author of this portion of the scriptures is rejoicing over several things. He's certainly excited about something, and he's rejoicing over the hope of glory. Now, are you? Is that a cause of delight and rejoicing in your soul? Because, or has this whole thing become a matter of familiarity breeding a certain contempt for the promises of outcomes and results of the justification by faith alone? Or is life so difficult and life thrown you so many curveballs and life not turned out like you thought it would 
that you're finding it difficult to rejoice about heavenly things too. Guys, if, if, you, um, if you are one that finds it difficult to rejoice, I want to... Um, let me, let, me, let me back up. If you, if you find it that you're not particularly all that excited about the fact that you're going to go to heaven and spend any other glory of God, but you would like to, I think I have some advice for you. I think, I, I think Paul gives us a prescription as to how to come to the place. And, and I want you to see it. If you've got your Bibles open, would you find with me 2 Corinthians 4? Brothers and sisters, um, how many of you were here during the look campaign that we had? What was that? What was that? The year 2000? 2000, it was, we started with vision parties in our home and uh, went from February to March with having desserts in our home. Remember all that? And, and then I preached these sermons and, and then we had Summit Sunday and and um, you remember that? And the kids came in with their little. It was, it was a. Well, it was for me. It was, it was a highlight of my Christian experience. That Sunday, that summit Sunday, where we all made our pledges, and and um, <clears throat> we were trying to raise five million dollars, and we raised five point one. You know, and it was a, it was a, it was a great time. But you remember one of the things that I said to you, and and I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether you'll ever remember this, um, and I'm not so sure I said it the way I should have said it. I wish I could have said it with tears streaming down my face. I wish I could have said it with blood in my eyes. I wish I could have said it, and if I didn't, I should now. But I came to a place in that whole campaign, and I said, let me tell you some things to expect. Do you remember that? Let me tell you some things that you can expect as we move towards this thing. And I had four of them that I told you that you could expect. And one of them was that you're going to be hassled by Satan. You remember that? Well, I don't know whether you were. But I have been. I'm not saying that that's redemptive. I'm not saying, I'm not looking. But I, I wish I had said it with a stronger conviction and greater preparation for my own soul. Because I can say this to you. Summit Sunday was on May the 21st. And by the time that month had ended, The life that my wife and I knew ended up to that point. And I, I, I will not share with you the details. There's a couple of people in this room that know the details. But the life as I knew it up to that point changed. And uh, my wife and I were laying in bed the other night, and it was really after the September the 11th horror. And my wife prayed, help us make the adjustments that are necessary. 
And I wish I'd have prayed that back in May of 2000. But I don't know about the rest of you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what, what difficulty you faced. But I'm telling you, I don't know whether there's anything to this. But Satan at least took me at my word. And it continues to this very moment. I have been shaken in ways that I have not ever before been shaken. I, I went through a very seriously difficult time at age 37. But after that, this, was, uh, this has been far more difficult to bear. I say that to say this. I want you to look at the text with me. I'm in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And this is our route, I think, ladies and gentlemen, to rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, For our light affliction, and in one of the translations, I like it better than this one, it says, For our momentary light afflictions. But here it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you see what Paul says? Affliction is working for him, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, my friends. I think one of the ways that we can put ourselves on a path that will take us to rejoicing over the glory that awaits us is if we come to the conclusion and conviction, as did Paul, that the, mo that the affliction that we endure is momentary, it is light, it is temporary, and it is preparing us for the glory that has been promised us all throughout the Bible. One other application and I'm finished. I want you to open your Bibles to the first John passage because this is something that is, um, must be said, I think, in light of our hope and our rejoicing in our hope and our confidence in our eternal well-being. I think you have got to add this to it. Let me read it with you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could somehow ignore my voice and just read what it is that God, by the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, is saying to us as individuals. Verse 2. 1 John 3, verse 2. I tell you what, let me, let me, well, no. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. That's as far as I read earlier on in the, tonight. But notice verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Ladies and gentlemen, the great result and benefit of the doctrine of justification by faith is you and I can count on glory 
forever. But this text suggests that when we count on glory and rejoice and enjoy the idea that our eternity is fixed, one characteristic of those people is that he who has this hope purifies himself as he himself is pure. We who possess and enjoy the glory of a fixed eternity, one characteristic of those people is that one of their fondest desires is to see themselves pure. They go together. Do not isolate the two. Do not separate the two. The hope of glory is characterized by people who purify themselves. Let's quit for a moment. <clears throat> Our Father, there is not a mind and a heart or a soul in this room that has fully plumbed the depths of this glorious truth of justification by faith. That to think that God, that you would provide a, a salvation that has been wrought by Christ, that you would justify the ungodly, clothe them in the righteousness of your Son, and then covenantally commit yourself to them for eternity. It is mind-boggling because we know how often and how much we failed you in this life of living out our Christianity. We know. And we ask, O oh God, that we might set ourselves on a course of purifying ourselves in response to this hope, in response to this love of heaven and longing for it, might we spend our days committed to purifying ourselves as you are pure. Our Father, thank you once again for your word. It is our meat and our drink. It is that which sustains our souls. It is power in this book, in, this, in your word, not in the one who explains it. Father, Hide the speaker so that the weight of your truth can find its way to the bottom of our souls. Might the glory that is awaiting us exhilarate us. Exhilarate us to the point that we desire purity more than we ever have before. We, of course, pray tonight, as always, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.